0: Off that stage now. It's pretty impressive. I'm like, there's a good amount of people. Praise the Lord. And again, the Lord continues to to bless and develop and grow his church in all different ways. Is my mic in a bad spot? All right, I'll move it up. So, brothers and sisters, we rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. There are some people today that are going to have a great time, a great day. There are certainly babies being born, mothers and fathers holding them in their loving arms, newness of life changed. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, there are definitely people that are going to be burying their loved ones today. And they wonder why, and there's certainly struggles and tears. And then there's everything else that's in between, right? But the one thing that's consistent in our lives, whether it's the joy of newness of life or it's the sadness of saying goodbye to people that we love and care for, and again, everything else in between, that steadfast part is our Lord. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His name is Yahweh, He who will be, is, and has been. And He is consistent. And regardless of whatever situation we find ourselves in, whether it's a joyous moment today or if it's a frustrating moment today, God is the same today and he is at your side still today. And so as we approach this psalm, Psalm 136, there's one simple phrase that you need to remember and know it's not the title of the sermon. The reason I changed the title of the sermon from what the repetitive phrase is is because there needs to be just a little more in there. And so his commitment to his purpose endures, but that's because his steadfast love endures forever. Let me repeat that so it can sink in. His steadfast love endures forever. There is no if, there is no and, and there is no but to that statement. His steadfast love endures forever, and that's the sermon. No, I'm kidding. no, dear Heavenly Father, certainly I thank you for the blessings of today. I certainly thank you for what you are doing within your church, your body of believers, not just here, but elsewhere in the world. And I certainly thank you for the love that you've shown us and continue to show us on a daily basis, and that even that when we are led astray by our own passions and desires. Lord, you're still there pursuing us and calling us to your uh, grateful, well, our gratefulness in your loving and gracious arms. We love you, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. And so before we even get to the text, I want to expand on what I just told you even more, because that really is the takeaway of today, and to remember each and every second of your lives, let alone every minute, let alone every hour, let alone every day, let alone every month, let alone every year of your life, is that his steadfast love endures forever. So that word, steadfast love, just so you know, depending on the translation that you have in front of you, the English Standard Version, which is the the version that we typically use here, says steadfast love. If you're reading the NIV, it is very simply love. If you read the Lexingham English Bible, it is a loyal love. If you read the Christian Standard Bible or the New Living Translation, it is faithful love. And if you're reading the King James Version, it's mercy. It's mercy. That word in and of itself is chesed. In its original Hebrew form. Strong's, if you want to learn more about it, in a Strong's concordance, it is H2617. The H stands for Hebrew. 2617 is the word number that you can find and to explore on it. Hased is defined as God's goodness, his kindness, and his faithfulness. Amen. Only God really is all of those things at all times. And I remind you all very simply that goodness, kindness, and faithfulness for us, A, is a blessing to receive, right? But B, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It is something that God is growing within us all the time by the work of the Holy Spirit through the process we identify as sanctification, which is the process of being made holy and set apart from the rest of the world. And so, the Hebrew behind the phrase steadfast love ultimately means a love that is based on covenant commitment. It is a loyal or faithful love. It is the love that God over and over and over and over expressed to Israel as well as to us, His church. So His people continually Over and over and over and over. And in fact, has said steadfast love is one of the character traits or definitions of God's personal name. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, when Moses had broken the tablets and God gave him new tablets because his steadfast love endures forever for his people, regardless of their foolishness, It says this, Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Steadfast love is a big deal. It is the big deal. And as you've heard me say from sermons time past, I really truly believe, and this psalm is one of the reasons, and I'll continue to explain why, that anything exists. Anything at all. The world, you, me, Life as we know it is because of God's steadfast love. Amen. And so now, as we approach the scriptures, as we've been talking about God's steadfast love and the overarching point that certainly while his commitment to his purpose endures forever, when I say commitment to his purpose, that's a part of his steadfast love because he's going to see us to completion at the day of Christ. There is no abandonment. There is no lostness. The sheep hear my voice and they know my name and no one will snatch them out of my hands. This also is from our Lord. And so this scripture reading today comes in two parts. It's used antiphonally, if you will, in worship. Which that means, antiphonally, that one part this is going to be me, reads the first verse. And it means then that the second part, which is making the statement or the phrase, is going to be done by you guys. And very simply and very easily, as we go through this, your response is the second half of the first verse. So hopefully you have your Bibles in front of you. Chris, what page was that again in the blue Bibles in front of you? It was
1: 578.
0: 578. But the phrase is very easily repeatable. It says very simply, For his steadfast love endures forever. So again, I'm going to read the first part of every verse. You will read the second half of every verse. There are 26 verses in all, and your phrase, congregation, is repeated 26 times. Tell me if that's a big deal or not. a big deal make no mistake about it just like God's steadfast love it's a big deal it's why you were shown mercy in the first place it's why you can even receive mercy in the first place are we ready? all right give thanks to the Lord for he is good okay I just want to stop a second I want some passion people. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. Let's not sound flat. Let's not sound anything. This is why you're here this morning. For his steadfast love endures forever. Okay. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For
1: his steadfast love endures forever.
0: Give thanks to the God of gods. For his
1: steadfast love endures forever.
0: Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders.
1: For
0: to him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the heavens. For his to him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The The moon and the stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm to Him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea to him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihan, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage,
1: For his steadfast love forever.
0: a heritage to Israel, his servant. For his love
1: forever.
0: It is he who remembered us in our low estate
1: For his steadfast love endures forever.
0: and rescued us from our foes.
1: For his steadfast love endures forever.
0: He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven.
1: For his love
0: Amen. Amen. <laughs> Are you charged? Are you, I feel a little charged right now. Right on. I hear that. So I'm going to have a little confession moment with you too. I preached this sermon when COVID was going on. Right to myself. Can you imagine the flatness that it was? I did have Jennifer sit next to me kind of in a corner and and do that back and forth. But I tell you what, it failed in comparison to what I just heard. And so praise the Lord, praise the Lord for all of us in this moment and certainly those who spoke and certainly confessed that the steadfast love endures forever. And so, brothers and sisters, as I've broken this out and as certainly this is about Of course, the character of God and looking at the points as we continue to meet our Lord, they're very simple reminders of why he does the things that he does. And as you look back through redemptive history and as the psalmist explains through redemptive history, his steadfast love's been there all along. And throughout all the processes that Israel as a nation had to go through, or we as his church have to go through, doesn't change the fact that his steadfast love endures forever and that's what the psalmist exclaims and that's how it's reached you know certainly my heart and I hope it reaches out to your hearts in the same way and it changes it just from the simple fact when you look at your past and you look at all the experiences that you've been through yeah his steadfast love endures forever even when he shouldn't have loved me at all his steadfast love endures forever And so we look at this very first point and we look at those three verses. Give thanks to the Lord for he's good. Give thanks to the God of gods and give thanks to the Lord of lords. You know, ultimately in this, as I think the psalmist kind of helps break this down, even though I broke this down into more points just to highlight the historical implications for us to understand, is that first and foremost in these first three verses, God's supremacy (laughs) He's like, praise the Lord for God's supremacy in all of this, because he's good, he's the God of gods, and he is the Lord of lords. We can also add from the song, he's king of kings. There is no one higher up than him. He is enthroned in heaven, and there is no one that will unseat him. That is something certainly that we can hold on to, and that we can grasp all the days of our lives, especially when the ground seems shaky, remind yourself that you're standing on the solid rock that is Christ and the victory is already secure in Jesus by his accomplished works. And then in verse 4 through 9, we see kind of his wondrous works. And that's, again, reasons for praise too and reasons as to why God is good. And then verse 10 through 26, at the end of the psalm, We see God's interactions with his people and we call that his providence, his ability to work within and without the lives of each of us individually. And as we say, coincidence sometimes, I don't believe that there is such a thing as a coincidence. And while I don't know who said this, I can agree with them that a coincidence is a miracle in which God prefers to remain anonymous. So, While those are certainly meaning for praise, let's not lose sight of the biggest meaning for praise, which follows right after what I said in the first verse. Give thanks to the Lord for he's good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And that's the hallmark, that's the catch, and that's the key to everything that is discussed in this sermon. That very first verse highlights the whole psalm. For us, God is good. Praise him. Thank him for his steadfast love endures forever. Now let's continue to see that steadfast love enduring forever throughout redemptive history. And so we go to point two, verse four through nine, and we get to meet our father and creator. And then also right next to our father creator, maybe make a little notation for yourself, there is but one creator God. Much like when I say in the first point, meet our good Lord, there is but one good God. So we see in these verses talking about creation a little bit. God's initial design. All of these essentially are Genesis 1 references for us to look at and enjoy. And I would, of course, encourage us to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and reread that story at some point in time as it's just kind of a refresher. But much like I said in the beginning of this, life exists because God's steadfast love There's no other reason, and much like we talked about last week, don't discredit life as you know it with all the wonders that exist within the human body that you have no control over as an accident. There is certainly intelligent design, and how we get to Jesus is, of course, countercultural from what they talked about as gods of gods. But as Solomon, well... We don't know for sure, but as I believe Solomon to say in Ecclesiastes, there's a lot to think about when it comes to the human body, and there's a lot of mysteries that surround us. So think about this mystery, brothers and sisters, too, in the creation of life and death and the world as we know it. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And as I discussed in kind of the introduction, there are people rejoicing over the life of a newborn. And at what point in time does exactly that newborn have that spirit of breath and that spirit of life that comes into it? Interesting to think about. And of course, certainly something to think about uh, in this whole point, especially being there's one creator God, and he made it very simple. And again, regardless of what stance other people take, it's always based on faith because none of us were there for the creation of the world. So none of us know exactly how it was done, nor do none of us really understand how all of it was done. Here's this great big blue sphere in the water. Then we've got the sun just perfectly positioned way so that rather than burning us to death, like mercury, we actually have just the right amount of everything, you know, that goes on in life. Just perfect to have life here. And so, again, I always stress that it's not an accident. There's definitely intelligent design. So we can praise God for that. But, again, the ultimate reason why God should be known as our Father, let alone our Creator, is because He created man. He created the world. And it's because of His steadfast love that endures forever that we even have this world, we even have the lives that we have. And so regardless of whether we find ourselves on the positive or negative in this morning, there's always a positive to look at because we walk with Jesus and there is his steadfast love for all of us to look forward to on any given day, every given second, every given moment, all of our lives altogether. And so we move on to point three and we see him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. And so here we have the Exodus story. I would, of course, encourage you to read Exodus as well. Maybe even just the first 10 chapters because that's really where the vast majority of this happened. But God did indeed save a people for his own possession. And when we look at things that are hard, like striking down the firstborn of Egypt, or as we will see in the next passage where he defeated kings, and we're wondering, how is this still a good God? I remind you of the promises that he made to Israel and his covenant commitment, which is part of why I changed the title a little bit to help increase our understanding, because his commitment to his purpose endures forever. His purpose was to create a people for his own possession. The promises that he made to Abraham were for a nation, Canaan, to be a land of milk and honey, a land for his people. Now there were other people in Canaan. Here's the thing too. I want us to realize and especially because the world seems to think that this is just something. Our definitions of good and bad are not God's definitions of good and bad. If I was to go around this room and ask everyone what a definition of good was, there would be similarities, but there would also be vast differences. Much the same as if I asked everybody what's bad, you would give me the same thing. You would tell me some bad things and I would probably agree with you on some bad things. But then there's other things that maybe aren't necessarily so bad. And in the scope of life and death, sin and salvation, there is but one way, and that way is through our Lord Jesus. Religion teaches you that you need to climb the spiritual ladder. You need to do these things. You need to say your ten Hail Marys. You need to give. You need to donate. You need to blah, 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 blah. In the scope of Of all of that, it is works. Works do not produce salvation. Your salvation produces works. That's how it is. That's how it always has been. Abraham was the forefather of faith. Abraham was 420 years before Moses got the law. The law does not save anybody. In fact, what the law is for, as it's revealed to us in Romans chapter 3, verse 20 is that the law is to show us that we're all sinners in need of a savior. Not that you could ever measure up, not that you could ever meet God's standard of holiness, but that you need help. And that's exactly what our God has offered. And that's what he offered first and foremost to the people of Israel. And while we look at the story of Israel and we see God saving the people from slavery, redeeming them, changing them, We certainly see their disgruntled looks, but that first part, God saving them from slavery, God making them their own nation, making a people for his own possession, that's your story too. And while you weren't in slavery in Egypt, you've been slavery to the sins of the world. You've been measured and weighed by worldly standards. And you've let yourself, because that's all you knew until you had your experience with the Lord. And now your identity ought to be secure in who Christ is. But as we see from Israel, that's not always the case either. They wanted to be just like everyone else. They wanted to fit in. What God says they are was not good enough for them, just the same. But again, this story of redemption, the story of people, he is our rescuer, our deliverer, and our Savior, just the same as he was Israel's rescuer, deliverer, and Savior. For you need to know that there is but one God of redemption, and there is but one way of redemption, and that's by grace through faith in Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 but the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2 are powerful in that regard. Because unfortunately, there's a lot of people who will say, I'm not that bad in this world. But the problem is, is even when you say that, you're still bad enough. And Israel had that problem, and they were slaves to sin, much like we're slaves to sin. They needed a Savior just like we needed a Savior. And they needed a new life and a new identity in God, just the same as we needed a new life and a new identity in God. Because regardless of what identity we tried to have, I can guarantee us that at some point in time, it was not all it was cracked up to be. And it, in essence, blew up in our faces at some point in time. And so this Exodus story, again, I would encourage you to read how God has carried a rebellious, stiff-necked people. Throughout history and how he continues to save rebellious, stiff-necked people, much like myself, for his glory and ultimately our good as his people. And so we move on to point four and we see our victorious king and our protector. And I want to say it this way too. There is but one promise keeping God every other god was not necessarily promise keeping it was do this for me and maybe i'll do that for you but that's the human way that's how humans make gods that's how humans make gods in a human way and all the other you know all the other gods that the greeks and the romans and everyone else made they were so human it hurt they would fight they would lie they would steal they would murder they did all the things a human would do but they were gods That's not a God to worship. That's like worshiping another human being. That is a mistake and a half if there's ever been one. Because much like, look at all of God's characters throughout history, was Abraham the most noble guy you've ever heard? No. In fact, he denied being married to his wife so he didn't die. And he let the king kind of have his way with his wife in a sense. But thankfully the king didn't have his way with his wife. But ultimately, that's not good. Look at King David, who is a man after God's own heart. Well, he sent his friend to die so he could sleep with his wife. Worship him. Never. It's much like, unfortunately, and I hate to bring it up, it's much like how people pray to people. And again, worship other people. It is absolutely wrong. There is nothing redemptive about worshiping other people. And so, we see in this as well, and we know, and I didn't get back to the main point, but you need to understand that in God's eyes, no one is worthy of salvation, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so these kings that are attacking Israel, God's people, what do you think is going to happen to someone who attacks God's people? Not going to end well for them. It's kind of the uh, obvious remark, right? And it's not just because of his steadfast love. It's because his commitment to his purpose endures forever. Much like why God promised Canaan to Israel as a nation and Moses was going there. They were going through the wilderness. We kind of have that promise too of coming through. And as much as you hear about that Red Sea story too, think about it in this way. It's from crossing from certain death. To certain life. And that's exactly what Israel went through. And that's exactly what we go through too. While we haven't walked through the Red Sea ourselves, that certain death we were all facing on that side of the river of sin, where it's all about us and it's all about our works and it's a performance type of issue, until we're brought over to the other side, where God. Resides and his holiness and his mercy and his grace reign and manna from heaven and provisions and everything else came to Israel, not because of things that they did, but because of who God was and how his steadfast love endures forever. And so if you attack God's people, much like we saw in Esther or yeah, in the book of Esther, like holy jabroni, don't mess with God's people. Bad things are going to happen. And that's exactly what we saw with Egypt. That's exactly what we see with the king of the Amorites. That's exactly what we see certainly in Og, the king of Bashan. These were evil people bent on power, greed, their own way. All we like sheep are led astray, each to our own way. And those men were. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, which provides self-control, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from being evil? Aside from, you know, maybe you? No, no, it is truly a grace and an act of God. For sure. And so as our rescuer, our deliverer, and our savior, there is but one God of redemption, and certainly we know him as Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. As it's written in John chapter 14, verse 6, no one will come to the Father except through me. And the reason we can Accept that and acknowledge that too comes from understanding the covenants and how God paid for sins and high priests From the back and atonement of sins And I don't want to flood us with a whole lot of information in that But know that Jesus is our great high priest who has officially atoned for sins Once and for all it's the reason why we don't still murder animals on this stage each and every week to atone for sins So Jesus is our great mediator, restoring a sinful, broken human being in need of help to a holy and righteous God. And without Jesus being a mediator in the middle, I think one way to look at that and maybe get a visual of it for all of us too is, I've got my friend over here, and I've got my friend over here. I love them both. They both mean a lot to me. What shape am I in right now? Do I look like maybe I'm on a cross? Absolutely. And that's the mediation of our Lord. I love you, and I certainly love you. We need to learn how to get along. And that's what Jesus helped us with. And that's why we get the Holy Spirit within us, too, to help us understand, as not just our great comforter, but our interpreter, so that we can know and understand the ways of God, and that we can walk in those ways of God, while unlearning the ways of the world that are destructive. And so, oh, also, in point four with our victorious king and protector, remember the the second point was from Genesis, the third point deals with Exodus, this fourth point deals in both Numbers and Leviticus. These are stories that you can read about. In Numbers chapter 32 is where you will read about Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. So if you're up to that, certainly. Please, go on a reading adventure. And so, it brings the question to, and just rhetorical thought, what promises of God do you cling to? And there can be a lot, but I want to encourage you in very simply one, and one that John says in two different ways in two different books that the Apostle John has written. This is the promise he made us, eternal life. That comes from 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. And then we go to the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 3, which is Jesus' great prayer for his people. And this is eternal life. This is the definition of eternal life here. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It is literally just that easy. As we read, Gospel of John, chapter 17, Jesus' great prayer, that's verse 3. Eternal life is that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. And then, of course, we know why we need to know Jesus, but we also know why we need to know God even more. You need answers to the major life questions. You need to know who you are. You need to know why you're here. You need to understand what is wrong with this world. And you need to understand what is being done to fix it. If you're ever going to walk in love and joy and peace, you need to come to terms with those four philosophical major human longing statements that we all struggle with until we know our Lord. And even then, it may take a while to come to grips with those answers, but why God does what he does? Absolutely. His commitment to his promise endures forever. And why sanctification is hard sometimes and painful sometimes? It's because his commitment to his purpose endures forever. And what's his commitment to his purpose in regards to that? He's making you holy. He's turning you into Christ-likeness. That ugliness that exists within each of us needs to die. And sometimes it's really hard for us to kill that sin. But praise be to God that he still does it because it's ultimately going to be for his glory. And ultimately, even though it's painful, it's going to be our good. It's going to be good for us to have those sins within our hearts and our minds die. So, we get to the fifth point. Our gracious provider. There is but one God overall, And this is really what it is. It's He who remembered us in our lowest state. He rescued us from our foes. And it's He who gives food to all flesh. Common grace, I've described it before, and here's a biblical definition, is any blessing of God that does not save a person from sin. The rain falls on both the righteous and the wicked. The sun shines on both the righteous and the wicked. The righteous and the wicked can both work. They can earn money. They can certainly uh, have children, a multitude of things. Common grace. Doesn't mean that they're saved, because that's a special saving grace, if you will. That's God's unmerited favor to be pleased to introduce his son to us. And that's exactly what he did when he rescued us from our foes. But there is but one foe that we're against. And, well, okay, I might have said that wrong. The first foe that we're ultimately against is God himself. Because we want our own way. We've always wanted our own way. All we like sheep are led astray, each do their own way. What tickles one person's fancy doesn't tickle another person's fancy. But ultimately, we're all at odds with God, first and foremost, that foe. And again, the mediation. I love you both. You need to find a way to get along. And so, the second foe is yourself. It's your own sin living within inside of you. And that foe is your own worst enemy because I know from my own personal experiences, I am my own worst enemy, by far. The third are those closest to you, friends and family, and then the fourth is just everyone else that certainly can be against us. And to rescue us from our foes, we're the foe. Sin is our foe. That's what separated us from God, is that sin. And that's why ultimately that foe that we're rescued from is ourselves, So God saves us from ourselves. He remembered us in our low estate. That's God's pity, remembering us. I want all of you to ask in all seriousness, what does God really owe you? (laughs) Thank you, Jennifer. (laughs) It's kind of a rhetorical question, but ultimately it's, it's very much true. No, don't be sorry at all. There's no sorry in any of this. Praise the Lord in all of this. Because ultimately, again, God doesn't owe us anything. And yet there are people out there, you owe me. How could you do this to me? Why me? Why don't I get these things for me? Do you see the common thread of me in all of that? That's why I say at the root of everything stems from the very first uh, of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's kind of funny, but me is a God before God. And then it's the reason why, because we worship these things, that we do the other Ten Commandments. It's the reason why you covet. It's the reason why you lie. It's the reason why you steal. Because whatever it is you worship, whatever it is you idolize that you're going after in your life, whatever tickles your fancy or floats your boat, if you will, that is what you have put above God. And then all the others are just ways that you're going to do that because you've put something above God in your life. And so, he remembered us. He actually cared for us. Much like last week in Psalm 139, he actually cared about us. You know, it's an amazing thing. He remembered us in our lowly estate. He rescued us from our foes in and of ourselves. And certainly, he cares for all people. And even though most of us Certainly, there's things that divide us. There are way more things that bring us together in being created in the image of God. But, again, as we've gone over a lot of repetitive themes over the last few weeks, this common grace, and there is but one God overall, and while God hates sin, He does not hate the people. He loves the people. Every one of the people are created in His image. Every single person which means every single person to us ought to be worthy of dignity and respect because we know our Lord and we love our Lord and then we know our Lord loves these people. Not saying we all have to be besties, but there need not be any need for violence and hate. And those people that are spreading violence and hate, you can tell that they're not in Christ because Jesus did not spread violence and hate. By any stretch of the imagination, he came to solve that. In fact, I would say he brought peace, peace with God. Not necessarily peace between sinners, but peace between him and the sinner. And then, of course, lastly, our precious holy God, in all situations give thanks because our God's steadfast love endures forever. Just as very simply, give thanks to the God of heaven. And I think this is future. As we've seen from the past, we've seen the declaration of God in the first point. He is God of gods. He is Lord of lords. He is King of kings. He is good. Look at how he's worked in the redemptive history of creation And showing his love and his intricacy and everything else in life as we know it. Then see how he's worked with Israel to continue to work with them throughout their history. To save them from the slavery that existed within them. To bring them to newness of life by crossing over the Red Sea. To give them a promised land, a hope, and a future. Past, present, future. And it's within this last verse, give thanks to the God of heaven, that we focus on all the past, that we can focus on the present, and that we can focus on our future. Because all of those are promised. And as we look back on our own pasts, as we look at the present of where we are and how we even got to this point today, and then we can look to the future of heaven with God, Where there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, no more crying. He will be our God and we will be his people. This is cause for celebration. This is cause for joy. Because we know in our past he's been with us. So we know in our present he's with us. And we know in our future he will be with us. And we will be with him. Face to face, locking arms in joy in love, in peace. And so, brothers and sisters, while it could go totally sideways, I've got some comments to bring us to a close. And I could use your help again, too. And especially in reminding us of what the point is. So much like as we read the text earlier, I'm going to make some declarative statements. And I just need you to say, for his steadfast love endures forever at the end of every statement. Every nation, every people, all of creation can rejoice. For, For he sent us his son to light the way. For past love and
1: forever.
0: Grace and truth, love and joy, hope and peace. For set past love and forever. Eternal life with him by faith is our gift.
1: For he sent us his son
0: Wayward orphans now have a father. For his
1: steadfast love forever.
0: Forgiveness was given to sinners that don't deserve it.
1: For his steadfast love forever.
0: His church, his bride will forever be by his side. For his steadfast love forever. By grace through faith his kingdom will always stand. For his steadfast We will always have an abundance of reasons to praise him.
1: For his steadfast love endures forever.
0: And his word and his promises are daily treasures to be enjoyed.
1: For his steadfast love
0: endures forever. For his steadfast love endures forever. If you ever have a question about why God God does anything, or why you're in the position that you're at, or how you got to the position where you're at, or if you're uncertain about your future and where it's going, remember that statement. For his steadfast love it endures forever, and you've got nothing, nothing to worry about. Dear Heavenly Father, I certainly thank you for all that you are, who that you are, and what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will continue to do in the lives of your children and in the lives of your church. And so, Lord Jesus, I come, I I lift up all the praise to you, regardless of where our hearts are. May you write the very simple phrase, on them, for your steadfast love endures forever. And it's because of your commitment to your promises and your faithfulness that we can stand confidently in your light and on the rock that is Christ. So, Lord Jesus, continue to work within our hearts and minds, continue to use us for your glory and our good, and may we continue to find joy in what the world is, but but certainly much more joy in who you are and what you're doing just for the lives of your people, those around you, and the communities that we are in. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray until we're finally at home with you and there is no more need for prayer